I live in Florida. Uh, I, our state, I think, exists to help Georgians feel that things could be worse. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was uh, walking down a sidewalk uh, near the beach where I live, and a fellow came down with a t-shirt. And I was so shocked by the t-shirt that I didn't know what to say. I, 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 he just walked by. I felt I should have said something. Uh, here was the t-shirt. It had a big Bible, uh, uh, like it said, Holy Bible on his t-shirt. And of equal size right under it, it had a gun. And that picture of putting a Bible and a gun together, so disturbing to me a few years ago, but we keep seeing that kind of pairing in our world today. All of us who study the Bible closely know that it has been used to justify violence. And many of us are worried that some of the worst violence that could be justified by the Bible may not just be in our past, but may also be in our future. And so at a time when many of us wake up each day wondering what new headline of violence we will be facing, I think it's important for us to take the issue of violence and the Holy Scriptures very, very seriously. Amen? I consulted a scholar about this some years ago, a, a respected biblical scholar, and I said, how do you deal with the passages in the Bible that are so violent? And he said to me, I've learned that we should never read one story in the Bible alone, but we should always look at the interaction of one story with another story. And I thought to myself, that's interesting because many of the sermons I preach in my life, I take one story and preach a sermon from that story. I wonder what it would mean if I looked at stories in dialogue, even dynamic tension with one another. And this scholar said, for example, he said, I don't think you should read the story of David killing Goliath uh, without also reading the story of David not being allowed to build the temple because he was a man of bloodshed. Do you see the tension? It's as if a later story in a way challenges the earlier story. He said you should never read the story of Elijah calling down fire on the prophets of Baal, if you're familiar with that story, without also reading the story of Jesus rebuking his disciples when they talked about calling down fire from heaven. He said, you shouldn't read the story of Cain killing Abel in the beginning of Genesis without going to the end of Genesis where one brother, who in a sense, his brothers had done him harm, instead of getting revenge on them through violence, he saves their lives. I've never been able to read the Bible the same again. I see that those stories that include violence are critiqued and challenged by later stories in the Bible. Another time I was consulting a respected biblical scholar about this issue of violence, he said, it's important to remember, Brian, 
that sometimes the Bible is teaching us anthropology, not just theology. It's teaching us something about how human beings behave. It's giving us insight into our own behavior. And I think we really see that in the book of Genesis and in the story that we just heard from the book of Genesis about the Tower of Babel. Uh, you could say that the book of Genesis begins with, with the violence of fratricide and ends, as I said, with one brother saving the lives of his brothers. And right in the middle and throughout, we see stories of violence and ways that human beings deal with violence. And then we come upon this mythological story. There's, this is not a story that reflects actual history, but we come on the story where human beings decide to get together and build a big tower. We like to build these, these high structures that in a certain sense become an architecture to reflect our social architecture of some people with great power and other people with less power. Some people on the top dominating everybody underneath them. In a way, this is the story the way that ancient people would tell the story of empire. And isn't it interesting how empire works? People say, let's get together and make everybody the same. Make everybody speak the same language. Make everybody have the same culture. Let's get everybody the same. Now, I know we can't imagine a world where people think the way to peace is by making everybody the same. Most of us... Uh, I have long ago lost the idea, if everybody would just speak English, we'd all get along. We who speak English have plenty of ways to not get along. But you see, this is a deeply embedded idea in people's minds. It's at the heart of racism in all its forms. It's at the heart of all kinds of systems of colonialism and domination and empire. Make everybody the same. And isn't it interesting, in this story, the way the story's told, I don't think you can escape this, it sort of makes God look like God's afraid of this, like God comes down and sees this tower and thinks, if all of these people are the same, who knows what they'll, trouble they'll cook up. <laughs> and so God, in a sense, votes against sameness and votes for diversity. It's safer to have diversity than a concentration of power that's built on pyramids or towers of hierarchy. But that's not the whole story. Because today on Pentecost Sunday, we remember the story of what happens at Pentecost, which is obviously in conversation with the story of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is not the whole story. On Pentecost, God has voted for diversity, but now in a sense, God says, diversity doesn't need to mean division. Diversity doesn't need to mean apartheid, separation, us, one us in an enclave and one them in another enclave, no. He, the story of Pentecost is this amazing story that says 
there is a way for people with their diversity to come to understand one another, with their differences to come to understand one another, and to hear a message of peace and a message of reconciliation. Isn't it interesting, in that story of Pentecost, the fire that's so beautifully reflected in the color of the flowers you see up front, the, the one fire comes down and then it divides and there's little flames over each individual person as if to say one fire, many flames, many flames, one fire, diversity, unity, dispersal of power, but not power used against one another, power that can be brought together in love and in understanding. Who would have guessed that an ancient story, an ancient mythological story in the book of Genesis would be in conversation with this story in the book of Acts and would be as relevant as our headlines every day in recent history. And so God, in a sense, says to us, centralization with sameness is not the way to peace. It, it might get a certain kind of peace, but it's the peace of domination that always leaves people on the bottom, suffering and dehumanized. God votes against that. But the answer is not separation. The answer is for us to come together in one spirit. In our culture, this gives us a message that is relevant to every one of us. In fact, if we could picture a flame coming down and going and having a separate little tongue of flame over each of us, that we have the chance to welcome the Holy Spirit into our hearts, to teach us that diversity can be brought together in a beautiful unity, that diversity doesn't need to mean division, it can mean beautiful harmony, and that the Holy Spirit that is falling down upon us is the spirit that wants to enter us and burn and glow within us with a message of, of unity and diversity, of love for our differences, of understanding across our differences. I, when I was a boy, I grew up in upstate New York and then lived in the D.C. area, and I always loved snow. Whenever it snowed, I would go outside and I just loved the silence and the peace as that blanket of snow fell. And of course, I really loved snow days when we got off of school. <laughs> and one of the things I loved about snow days is you'd go outside and all of the neighbors who never saw each other would be out shoveling their sidewalks and their driveways and people who never talked to each other, not one other time in the year, would walk around the neighborhood and talk to each other. It's as if we were baptized by snow <laughs> to discover each other and be connected with each other again. And so, in that way, on the day of Pentecost, not as snow, but as fire, a fire that wants to glow in each of us, the Spirit of God, baptizes us, comes upon us, and invites us into a peace, not as the world gives, 
peace by either domination and sameness or by separation and apartheid, apartness. No, peace that comes by understanding one another, by appreciating our differences, by daring to believe that God speaks all languages. Amen.